This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today. The 30th of November, can you believe? With this close to Christmas, I am Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Meet my morning stars. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Andre. Hey, Linear Bob. Daryl. Everybody. That's right. Robert. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, from all over the country. That's right. Meet, meet everybody on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Get on over there. We're going to talk with Jeff Cohen. He's an icon in the progressive space, co-founder of FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, a former journalism professor, and um, he is also uh, the founder, co-founder of Netroots Action. And they have had a petition drive for the past few months, uh, step aside, Joe, or don't run, Joe. That's right, Joe Biden. And it seems that David Axelrod has said the quiet part out loud. Don't get mad with me. No less a figure in the Democratic Party. Uh, President Obama's right hand, indeed one of the architects of his campaign. Uh, Well, his campaigns, well, he said, you should not run, Joe. You should not run. So I want to know what your thinking is. And what about these falling poll numbers? I mean, there's some voters who said, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden and I can't come back. But there's so much at risk here. So much at risk. You've got a Congress that is is at risk, both houses. You've got state legislatures. You've got governorships that are at risk. Um, And some people are saying that he should not be the standard bearer bearer for the party. But others are saying, look, he beat Trump. Others are saying, but his poll numbers right now are bad. He's doing very poorly with Arab Americans who can turn Michigan and and Pennsylvania. He's losing black voters. He is losing uh, some, uh, he's losing young people in droves. So what do you think about that? Call me. What What can he do to turn things around? And what about these campaigns within the party? Because the quiet part is now being spoken out loud. What about these campaigns asking him not to run? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Let me know what your thoughts are. 773-763-WCPT. Should he step aside and put Kamala Harris forward? Um, Some polls say that Hillary Clinton should get another crack at it. What do you think? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. And let's look at the life and legacy of Henry Kissinger, 100 years of age, made his transition yesterday. Wow. What a lot of living he has done. He has done. He has done. So you tell me. It's a mixed bag, everybody. Some people are saying that um, he's... Perhaps the greatest diplomat, or one of the greatest diplomats that the country's ever had. German immigrant, survived the Holocaust, came here at 15. Dr. Henry Kissinger, brilliant, brilliant mind. No one can ever question that. But others are calling him a war criminal. And that say that his record is not just mixed, that it is indeed a bad one. So you tell me what you think his record ought to be and what... 
what you think about Dr. Henry Kissinger. Oh, yeah, you cannot avoid what overnight things change, and everyone is looking at his record now. And so much of America's foreign policy today has been shaped by him, our China policy, what he and President Nixon did. And people continued to consult with him down through the years. They never stopped. In fact, he was weighing in on Ukraine and on the Middle East. All of that because people respected him so much and he just stayed in the game. So what do you think about that, everybody? Call me at 773-763-9278. We're going to be talking with Bryce Green, Dr. Gibson, and perhaps Dwight McKee about this legacy of Henry Kissinger. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. But call me about what, would you, what should we do about President Joe Biden? What should be done? Call me, 773 773- 763-9278. As I just said in the top of the top of the headlines, Henry Kissinger died yesterday at the age of 100 years of age. At, at the age of 100, um, indeed, Nobel Peace Prize winner. He was America's top diplomat under Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, shaping key policies with and key policy shifts with China, with Vietnam, the Soviet Union, and the Middle East. Um, he ushered in some of the most momentous developments, some of the most violent developments of the late 20th century, supporting um, American policies. Uh, but what do you think about that? Uh, critics have called him a war criminal who uh, upheld imperialism and dictators. You tell me what your thoughts are. 773-763-9278. Israel and Hamas agreed to extend a pause in fighting for yet another day. Since the pause began on Friday, 210 Palestinian prisoners, most of whom who have not been charged, most of whom are women and children, some who were put in at 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 years of age. Well, 73 Israelis have been released. 24 foreign nationals, but there are thousands of Palestinians who are uncharged who are still in Israeli prisons. Remember that. And an American-Israeli mother was freed yesterday, a dual citizen. An estimated 159 hostages remain in the Gaza Strip. Israel said the pause could continue to allow for more releases, but it won't agree to a permanent ceasefire, although most Americans actually want one. An Indian official was accused of ordering an assassination in New York. An employee of India's government tried in May to organize the killing of a Sikh separatist, but the scheme was foiled in June, according to U.S. prosecutors. It could strain U.S. relations with India. We will see how this goes. We will see how this goes. The EPA wants U.S. cities to replace lead pipes to protect children. We have that issue here in Chicago. Will it happen? Hmm, it should. Everybody in Chicago will have a high of 51 degrees. It will be rainy. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, 38 degrees will be the high. It will be sunny. Pastor Darius Brooks, how you doing? I am wonderful. All is well. I'm excited, 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 excited. <laughs> well, you talk to me. How You're still serving that food to your people, yes? Santita's to the girl, people. Last week, we served over three. 150 families. When I tell you it was, the news was there, uh, people were there. It, when I tell you, it, it, we it just everybody was just in awe. Everybody was just in awe about uh, the people 
that was in line serving. And Santita, I'm excited to serve, especially in times like these. You all, everybody who needs food, uh, Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from 5 to 7. And on Wednesdays, we feed the seniors from noon to 2. We give two to $300 worth of food. It's not crackers and peanut butter. Santita is the real deal. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited. Grace Central Church, gracecentral.net. And we don't just do it during the holidays. Santita, what we did, 350 families on this last weekend right before Thanksgiving, we started right back again January because the people are just giving Thanksgiving and Christmas. I honor all of them. But, but January, February, March, April, May, things are back the way they are. That's why I love what Grace Central does. We do it all year around. Grace Central Church, uh, gracecentral.net, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, Tuesdays 5 till 7, and Wednesdays noon till 2. Santita, I'm excited about teaching a word that's life-changing, not religious, but a word that when you put it together, two plus two is full with a fever. Did you hear what I Romans 7.25 says this. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then we, the mind, I myself, serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. I want to say that again. Romans 7.25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then we, the mind, I may myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And what is basically saying, Santita, we serve God with our minds. In other words, when we go to school, we learn what the school teaches us. When we come with our families, we learn what the family teaches us. When we deal with our parents, we learn what the culture teaches us. And ultimately, as God moves us little by little, year by year, older you older, and older, Santita, some of the stuff we've learned, we just start relearning and we do things that can't be mad at our parents or church stuff or things, but the older we get, the more, watch this, we become, yeah, the older we get, the more we become, watch this, what we choose, what we think, and what we do, because that's who we become. And Peter, when we get into the Word of God, when I start studying things like don't co-sign for people, now and then he teaches us choice. I give you a gift of choice. You can do whatever you want. You can choose whatever you want, but you cannot choose the consequences of your choices. When Sam Peter gets off this air, when I get off this air, whoever's under my voice, God created us to be incredible. But we have to utilize our thoughts to think. We have to utilize our thoughts to choose. And we have to utilize our thoughts in what we do every day. Because watch this, Santita, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, all day and twice on Sunday. What you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become. If you put a lot of stress on you, that's who you'll become. If you say stress, I don't want you no more, that's who you'll become. If you see things that you know you can't get into places that you can things. Don't take the weight of the world on your shoulders. God got everything in control the way he wants it. He's not in control, Santita. He's in charge. I'm seeing things happening right now that are blowing my mind. And as I close, it's good to observe things. But be careful what you pay attention to. Santita, we pay attention sometimes to the wrong thing. Be careful of what you are bothered by. 
existing independently because day by day, at the end of the day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become. And Santita, I want to leave this what I told my daughter on yesterday. I don't want to feel good about what I'm doing. I've learned I want to feel good doing what I know to do because day by day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become. Mm. I guess it's true. As a man thinketh, so is as a man or woman thinketh. No, that's why you have to be very, very careful about your thoughts, even before you say something. You know, because, um, you know, my pastor, Reverend Clay Evans, taught us it is no secret what God can do. And we can continue. Sometimes we worship the pain in our lives. The pain. You know, we think the situation will never, ever, ever, ever change. No, this relationship has been what it is. It is what it is. I've been guilty of that. And one of my friends scolded me not too long ago. She said, whoa, stop. You don't know what God can do. You don't know what God is trying to do in this situation. Right. Why don't you pray a, pray a new prayer and think a new thought? And I thanked her for that. We all have to have witnesses, I think, Pastor Brooks, in our lives who help us to change our view and keep us not just positive, but keep us right. Right. Keep us right. And that's why like you know? the words and when he says we worship God with our minds because Sometimes, even sometimes from other people, they're right about their opinion and how they do things. But Santita, if you notice when you're doing things and when you're listening to you, you're a good observer. You, no, no, you really are. That's a gift you have. You can differentiate things very well. But Santita, at the end of the day, when you walk away from anybody and anything, Santita, the Word of God says in Romans 75, that you got to think your own thoughts. It's good to listen to mommy and daddy and, and, and my, Deborah and Dasha. It's good to listen to them. I tell Dasha this too. Let no one do your thinking for you. Make your own decisions and choices. But be sound in your thinking and choices. A double-minded person is unstable in everything he do. And if you don't have or find something to believe in, you've got to believe in somebody else. That's why the Word of God is so powerful because the, the tools that it teaches us, the character, the integrity, the compassion. I tell people all the time, if you ever want to know God, who God is, keep compassion in your words. Keep compassion in your view. That's who God is. It starts with you. It starts with everybody else. And it, gets, it makes you see things clear when you have compassion. When you, you just said it best. When you become bitter and you, you'd be surprised, which is going to be the message Sunday, you'd be surprised the things we're worshiping. No, I'm, no, I'm not, because I see it every day, yeah. and you see it manifested yeah. in the world. And so, yeah. you know, that's why, you know, I'm saying, everybody, you know, as we are in this holiday season, Pastor Brooks, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people feel some kind of way about a lot of things, you know, about their lives. They, you know, suicide rates spike sharply. Um, people feel isolated. People feel alone. People feel, people feel, people feel. And, um, and you know what? I hear you. That having been said, there's a whole different way of looking at this, everybody. And sometimes what you need to do is change, as Pastor Brooks was telling you, change your view. You have got to work yep. on your thinking every single day. <laughs> yeah. Because what, what we're feeling... What we're feeling is true. What we're seeing is true about somebody else. And Peter, what they're doing is true. I'm listening to your program. The things you're saying, Santita, it's true what's happening out here. But 
it's it's very true. We're not we're not not familiar with what's going on. Even our past, our hurt, our present. Saint Peter, one day I don't know when it is. I'm going to die, and when I die, the world ain't gonna stop. What you tried to think you was going to stop, it ain't going to stop, it's going to keep going. All that's God. What God's trying to do with us in the world is that we learn how to think. So the parts that we do will do well, like you do your radio station. Your radio station is so needed, and the only one that can do it like you, Santita, is you. Your person, how do you think, your thoughts, how do you present things, how do you share with us crazy information. Everybody can't do that. That's a gift God's given Santita. So Santita is supposed to do this gift so well that it's utilized in the, in the process the way God has a purpose. But at the end of the day, when Santita get off this radio station, and Peter better learn how to take real good care of herself. So because what that. you choose, what you that's do, right. is what St. Peter Jackson becomes. <laughs> well, you know, that's it. That You know what? But mm-hmm. that is it, everybody. And I want you to understand, you know, you become your thoughts. You become yep. your thoughts. Everybody's sending so much love to, pa- to excuse me, to ref. I see that Reverend Pastor Reverend. Well, she has a ministerial zeal. Got some more. Uh, con- contacted Dr. Shanita Knighton, who is teaching over in Saudi Arabia this week. She'll be back next week. But she says it's a life-changing experience. Speaking of a changed mind, remember, she's got a she's got a miraculous life. She is the first person in her family to graduate from high school, let alone get a college degree, a PhD, become a registered nurse, become one of the leading figures in the field, in the world, in her field. But it's because she saw something different and she was thinking different that she, even the Lord had to take her away from her birth circumstances. That can be you too. And it might not be material. It certainly is spiritual. And I want you all to take this word from Pastor Darius Brooks today and let it give you new life. How can we worship with you? And where are you, Pastor Brooks? And you know what? And if we need food, hello, when should we come <laughs> and get it? Yes, sir. To every Tuesday, if you need food and good food, every Tuesday, Grace Central Church, 102-16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, every Tuesday from 5 till 7. And on Wednesdays for seniors, uh, uh, from noon till 2, Grace Central Church, gracecentral.net, Grace Central Church, 102-16 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois, Tuesdays from 5 to noon, from 5 to 7, and Wednesdays noon till 2. If you forget all this, just Google Darius Brooks and all that information is there. Now that's now that's the shortcut. Love you, Pastor Brooks. Coming up, let's talk about Henry Kissinger and his legacy. Many people said he's one of the greatest diplomats in history, Nobel Peace Prize winner. And yet, many others say not so fast. He was a war criminal. Which is it? Is it both? Hmm. A whole lot of these Nobel Peace Prize winners drop a whole lot of bombs and take a lot of lives. It wasn't Dr. King, but I don't know. Think about it. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, 
everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Let's talk about Henry Kissinger and his legacy, everybody. At the top of the hour, we'll be talking about Joe Biden. Should he stay on the ticket? Should he not stay on the ticket? Jeff Cohen, uh, of course, co-founder of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, uh, co-founder of uh, Roots Action. Uh, He's had a petition drive for a few months. It was... Don't run, Joe. Now it's step aside, Joe. Many, many Democrats, um, well, prominently most, are saying that he shouldn't run. And David Axelrod, no less, felt it's it's such uh, it's something that is spoken of so often. David Axelrod felt comfortable enough because he's someone who's a he is a very solid Democrat, and he's got great party discipline. He stepped outside and said, look, don't run. Don't think that wasn't a calculation. Don't think he wasn't just falling on his sword. No, 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 no. He, he no, 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 no. He is too, he is too, uh, too seasoned a politico to have just stepped out here to do that, to, to, kick up a, to kick up a fuss. He's trying to start a discussion. So I want to know what your thoughts are. You tell me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. Let me know what you think. But first, let's talk about Henry Kissinger, perhaps the most, certainly the most consequential di- diplomat in American, uh, in, in, the Amer- in America's last 100 years, and one of the most consequential dip- diplomats in America and in the world um, in modern history. Who was he? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Let me know what you think. Some people say that he's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. And um, even at 100, he was still making appearances. He was still someone who was the eminent squeeze, if you will, someone who you went to for counsel. I don't care whether you were Democrat, Republican, liberal, progressive. Yes, even progressive and on the right wing, because he was a player, if you will, on the world stage. But now we're talking about his legacy. Who was he? Who was he? We have got uh, Dwight McKee is going to weigh in, brilliant social scientist. And, of course, the person who's going to really lay all this out for us is historian Dr. David Gibbs. Before we do, I want to go to Dynamo Dave. Dynamo Dave, what's on your mind, sweetie? Well, first I have to say good morning to the Oracle of Chicago, Dwight McKee. But good morning to the Chicago. Hey, um... Uh, uh, a couple of things about Mr. Uh, Kissinger, um, and I don't want to denigrate a man who's past, but uh, he ran a company called Kissinger Associates, and of course that represented many corporations, uh, of which were American Express, Fiat, Lehman Brothers, Merck, Hines, Volvo, J.P. Morgan. And he also represented various uh, states, uh, other countries, as far as uh, consulting with them. And if you remember, back when there was that 9-11 mission, uh, he was main chair. And then when he was asked about his uh, perhaps conflicts of interest, he would not reveal. And he stepped down. So mm-hmm. he, uh, most people don't realize he, he was, he was uh, a very high representative of corporatocracy. And he would appear on, on various uh, shows like Face Nation or whatever, CNBC or MSNBC, CNN. Fox or whatever on his opinions on various foreign things, but they would never say below his name what he was involved with beyond being, you know, an old Peace Prize winner and former Secretary of State. And that's like a lie of omission by the corporate media. 
Anyway, I just want to set the record straight on this man. If I had his brains, I could actually go places. But anyway. Okay. No, I mean, look, I want to hear what people's thoughts are. 773-763-9278. 773-763-9278. He indeed, throughout most of his professional career, was able to walk in honor. And yet, in his latter years, he faced increased criticism, David Gibbs, uh, because uh, they, many people have said that he was responsible for millions of deaths. And yet he never paid for that. Nobel Prize winner, war criminal. Which is it? Is it a little bit of both? Is it something in between? Well, I think that uh, Kissinger um, came from, you know, he's an academic. He, of course, was a professor at Harvard. And he came from a school of international relations theory that emphasizes the importance of secrecy and deception and a certain contempt for the public. Um, and a tendency to view ordinary people as uh, very minor pieces on the chessboard for which you feel no empathy whatsoever. Also an exalting, of, a, frank, a frank exalting of immorality, uh, which Kissinger did in private all the time. He said uh, something I like to say in private was, the illegal we do immediately, the unconstitutional takes a little longer. It isn't an accident, by the way, that he and Nixon got along very well, because Nixon also had that kind of outlook on the world. Um, you know, he did have a, as we know, he, as a young boy and as a young man, uh, you know, he grew up in Nazi Germany uh, as a Jewish refugee. He left in 1938. You know, I, I personally know a lot of people with that kind of background who developed in response a kind of ethical framework, a kind of ethical view you of know, the world and a certain empathy for other people. Kissinger, for whatever reason, seems to have responded in exactly the opposite way. Um, you know, he... Um, um, he also, as the, as the caller noted, he was um, intertwined with the corporate establishment in ways that really, uh, one could say, at, at best viewed as a kind of soft corruption. When he left office, uh, you know, he stopped being Secretary of State. Um, you know, he parlayed his public name into a way of making money through Kissinger Associates, where he acted as an advisor and basically a lobbyist for some of the largest corporate interests in the world. He got his start, of course, uh, in, in politics. He was not just a Harvard professor, but he was a foreign policy advisor to the Rockefeller family. That's how he you know, got into the Nixon administration, was through his Rockefeller connection. Um, and in terms of his substantive legacy, um, really an extraordinarily large number of um, deaths, millions and millions of deaths, is his, I would say, his, his, his biggest legacy. Um, the overthrow of the Chilean government, the tens of thousands of people tortured, thousands executed, uh, starting a civil war in northern Iraq by backing and then betraying the Kurds, bombing Cambodia, killing hundreds of thousands of Cambodians, laying the groundwork for the Khmer Rouge. Um, there are other things I think that people don't even know very much about. For example, in Angola, uh, after Angola got independence from the Portuguese, he quite deliberately triggered a civil war in Angola just to show the U.S. was capable of intervening, just because it was available. It was a, you know, a minor piece on the chessboard in which he could operate. It started a civil war that lasted 30 years. Um, and um, he never expressed any remorse about any of these things. Um, I suppose the best thing you could say about him is he had a very high IQ. There's no doubt he was highly intelligent. I mean, especially when you compare him to the, frankly, incompetent people who were advising 
um, Joseph, Biden, uh, Joseph Biden right now, he was far more capable than, the, than these people were. But um, he didn't. He's one of these historical figures who was very talented, who used all of his talents, as far as I could tell, to making the world the worst place to live. That's his principal legacy. Talk to me about that, because I was reading one article that said he, as you said, he was stuck at 14 uh, before he came to the United States when he was a Jewish refugee, someone who actually lived through the Holocaust, right? And yet... Um, instead of becoming like an Einstein who came to the United States, who even yeah. taught at HBCUs and who was a great human rights activist, someone who was yeah. responsible for making the atom bomb, who said, you know what? Everything has changed of this day. Everything but man's thinking. I made a mistake. Shouldn't have given man keys to his destruction. I mean, so you yeah. have that. I mean, those polarities in that experience, and quite frankly, in the human experience, right? I mean, this is not a Jewish thing. This is a human thing. <laughs> yeah. So, w- what what is it? Because they're calling him the bloodiest social climber in history. No one's calling him an egomaniac. Although it was, he was someone who told you, "I love being famous. I love being a celebrity. I love being celebrated." Now, all my life, I heard Reverend Jackson was an egomaniac. Oh, he loves the camera. But he didn't kill anybody. Talk to me, David Gibbs. Yeah, he, um, for whatever reason, um, he did seem to have this kind of unbridled ambition that was completely unconstrained by any sort of moral compass. And, um, you know, he just seemed, he was very frank about that, at least in private, that he had no moral compass. Um, and, um, you know, I suppose, you know, from his standpoint, he'd like to say he promoted stability, but he did exactly the opposite. He destabilized vast areas of the world. I just mentioned Angola. Uh, I can name any other, uh, numerous other countries. He just destabilized one country after another uh, as a way of demonstrating power. Um, and then when he was done doing that, he simply profited personally uh, from his association, as I mentioned, uh, by enriching himself. And, uh, you know, sort of cashing in, one might say, on the uh, soft corruption that has always characterized American diplomacy. Um, And so um, I don't really see anything very positive about this man. Quite the opposite, I would say. This is a very odious figure um, who is criminal in the most literal sense of the term. Um, And, um, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate that he couldn't have learned more, shall we say, I hate to use the phrase, moral lessons from his own experience becoming a refugee, that he couldn't have learned to empathize with ordinary people in a way that he evidently did not. Um, and so I don't, um, all the encomiums that you're getting from people, the sort of lavish praise that you're getting um, from people in both parties, including, if I'm not mistaken, Hillary Clinton, that she admires uh, she, she admires him. I, I don't think she's lying when she says that. Um, I just don't think it reflects very well on these people. It certainly does not reflect very well on Hillary Clinton. Mm. Dwight McKee, your thoughts? I mean, you lived through... You lived through... Uh, well, I mean, you, you were a very, very young, young, young man as you watched him negotiate the peace in, in Vietnam, as you, as you watched him uh, move us into China with, with President Nixon. Um, you saw him win the Nobel Peace Prize because of his work in Vietnam, and yet 
Many all around the world say, wait a minute, he is responsible for the deaths of millions of people. He and Dr. King got the same Peace Prize. How does that work? Well, Lionel D was right on point with this one. Uh, the first thing you have to understand is that he was actually Rockefeller's guy. Rockefeller is assigned him to Nixon. Rockefeller went down, sat down, and told Nixon, "I'm gonna give you a million dollars." But Henry Kissinger is coming with the with the check, and he's going to be your Secretary of State. And so he was to Rockefeller as Secretary of State as Dulles was to United Fruit. His foreign policy was an extension of the business interests of the Rockefeller family. Nixon was just a conduit, and the State Department was just a conduit. But he really was a player on the Rockefeller stage. He was part of the Pavlov Foundation with the Shah of Iran to control oil in the Middle East. He opened up China for American business interests. When he and Nixon went to China, I think it was like 20,000 businessmen followed him over there to open up that market. He was more a business representative, more a lobbyist for big business than he was a Secretary of State for the for American interest, uh, for the country's interest. And if that included, you know, war, if that included destabilizing a country to be able to control its natural resources, to be able to lock Russia out, or to keep them from becoming communists or socializing the, the economy, well, so be it. And if millions of people had to die in order for that to work, then so be it. He was ethically neutral, morally neutral, morally void. Also obsessed with fame. He was a pure narcissist. I remember him saying one time that fame is the ultimate ultra-desiac. It's his access to women and the glamour. It uh, this this guy was a paradox unto himself, and you, in order to really understand the impact he had on the world, you have to absolutely understand his his relationship to big oil, to uh, big money, and to these major corporations that Kissinger and Associates represented. What does it? Uh Help me, Dr. Gibbs. He and Martin Luther King got the same Nobel Peace Prize. And it seems that increasingly the Nobel Peace Prize is given to people who wage war. Some, what is going on here? Well, the, the Nobel uh, Prize in general, but the Peace Prize much more so than the other ones, the highly politicized prize. And it does reflect, to some degree, power interests. Let's not forget, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize um, is separate from the other ones in that it's not Sweden but Norway that gives it out. That Norway has always been a member of NATO, so it's a U.S. ally. Um, it's sort of incorporated into the U.S. foreign policy establishment, in a sense. Not mistaken, the board that gives the prize is appointed by the Parliament of Norway. It's kind of an official prize, in a certain sense. And so it shouldn't come as a great shock that it's often given to people who are instruments of U.S. power or serve U.S. power. 
there were numerous cases of this. Um, oh, President Obama got one uh, recently, uh, fairly recently. Uh, somebody in Marty Atisari, no, who was the... Just um, as he went into office, which was shocking. He had been in office, what, two or three true. months? So it was like, well, wait, wait, wait. How? But you haven't done anything yet. But I guess it, yeah, it became, it was, it was so we saw that as yeah. aspirational as well. I mean, because I'm just trying mm-hmm. to figure all of this out because, you know, I hear different people say, you know, different folks should have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. I said, I'm confused by it. Well, <laughs> you have to, if I can drop in there real quickly, you have to understand, Santita, that the Nobel Peace Prize is named after Alfred Noble, who invented dynamite. It was always <laughs> part of the military-industrial complex. The, it, its background is inherent in the military-industrial complex. That's who Alfred Noble was. He invented no. dynamite. Well, there's that. <laughs> Dr. Gibbs, um, when yeah. you... Yeah. When, when we look at Henry Kissinger today... Um, because now we're really looking at staring down nuclear war. Uh, we're looking at a reordering of the world that he put in place. I mean, the primacy of the Western world, of Western Europe, of the United States, that has shifted radically over the past yeah. 40, 50, 60 years, 10 years, and quite frankly, in the last month, month and a half. <laughs> How do, where well, does he fit in all of this in terms of his legacy? It's a good question. I think that what you had in, it does bear some comparison as a historical period in the 70s, what you had with the weakening of U.S. power, because the U.S. was losing a war in Vietnam and ultimately did lose that war. And there's nothing like losing a war to discredit a major power, and that was happening under Kissinger's direction. And I think part of what Kissinger was doing was trying to manage that that, that decline and sort of salvage what he could in terms of America's power interests and his personal fame, of course, um, and uh, to do it in a way that would nevertheless exceed to the fact that the public was losing confidence in the U.S. foreign policy establishment and the world was losing confidence in the U.S. foreign policy establishment. And so he was trying to basically manage that uh, process and sort of maximize American power in a circumstance where that was going to be very difficult to do. That was one of the reasons he engaged in a lot of these very blood, bloody interventions, was just to demonstrate American power. Um, and he didn't really care how many people died from it, um, what the cost was. And, um, you know, now we're seeing again a challenge to American power, but a much more dramatic one. Uh, the challenge to American power in the 70s is nothing compared to what you're getting now, in the sense that there's a very concrete fact going on, which is that Military and political power flows from economic power, and we have today China, which is roughly the equivalent in terms of economic power as the United States. Industrially, it's way beyond the United States in terms of just industrial output. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, you're getting a um, challenge to U.S. power that really um, the U.S. Um, is going to find very difficult to, uh, to meet and to, uh, and to block. Uh, U.S. power is ebbing away very rapidly, much more rapidly than it was during Kissinger's time. And the quality of people managing this are, they not only have Kissinger's sort of ruthless and cynical side, they're not very competent. Kissinger was competent. He knew what he was doing. He had a high ability. 
I don't sense people like Blinken and, and, and Sullivan are anywhere near that level of capability. Oh, not at all. Not um, at all. No, they're not. No, not I mean, in terms of intellectual bravitas. I mean, because like you said, no matter what you think of, uh, of Henry Kissinger's politics, his intellectual brilliance, you cannot question. No. But his spiritual wisdom is, to me, is, the, is what's on the chopping block. Because if you do not have, if to me, if your spiritual core, if your moral core uh, is not, does not dwarf your intellectual uh, development, you're lost. And I think that's what we've got with him. I agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that. He's, history has many people who are very talented. Again, I'm always fascinated by this. People who are talented and use all their talents to make the world the worst place to live. Kissinger really did do that. Um, and that is his legacy. But nevertheless, what you're seeing now is a much greater challenge to American power than even Kissinger faced. That's likely to be something that is... Um, China's rise and America's decline cannot be stopped as far as I can tell, not in the long term. And what America's doing in Ukraine and in places, you know, supporting Israel and Gaza is likely to accelerate that decline. And it's compounded by the fact that you do have people who simply don't have a lot of ability. And again, I think that anybody who doubts me about that criticism of people like Sullivan and Blinken should have a look at some of the uh, videos of America evacuating from Afghanistan and how badly that went, what a disaster that was. Um, and again, one doesn't really get a sense that these are very capable people at the helm here. Um, so I think what you're getting here, it does have some comparison to the problems Kissinger was facing, but the problems are much more serious and are likely to basically erode and undercut American power decisively in a way that probably just can't be stopped at this point. You know, and, and it's, and, um, but America, I guess one of my concerns is that America's being, America and Americans are being cut off from information. Like yesterday, yeah. China made some very, very, very strong comments in support of the Palestinians. They said what's happening to them is a red line. Uh, they said there will be no peace in the Middle East until Palestinians' rights are respected. Now, mind you, this is, the biggest economy in the world, and it's growing. And yet, we're being—they're being ignored in the American press. I mean, we're 4.2 percent of the world. They're how much of it? I mean, come on, Doctor Gibbs. What gives? Uh, yeah, it, that's uh, one big difference in the 70s. What you had was an extraordinary openness of discussion, and you had a wide range of information. Even the New York Times—you could read the New York Times and get real information. It was incredible. Uh, you know, you could read about the Pentagon Papers. You could read about, about the Milai Massacre. Uh, later on, you know, you could read about U.S. involvement in overthrowing the Chilean government. Um, you know, there, there was a real openness. Um, we, it, I hate to say it, but it was a certain sense. In the 70s, America really became a democracy for a brief period. Mm-hmm. Um, now, contrast that with today, where basically the, the establishment, the legacy media, is, is almost is, is almost wor- not worth reading. There's almost nothing there to read. It's on foreign policy. It's as if you're just reading press releases from the State Department and nothing else. And so you really do have a, a, a real um, major difference in terms of the level of information most Americans are getting. Now, you can get information if you read foreign, um, the foreign press. Um, I don't, European press is not worth reading either. But if you read, for example, India or you read the... Um, you know, the Global Times in China, you can get a different perspective, and these are available South on African the Internet. News. Absolutely. South African News, I, that's yeah. right, yes. 
um, you know, and if you read Spanish, you can read, uh, you know, any number right. of, uh, you know, Latin American publications. But, um, you know, it's um, it, most people, nevertheless, are incredibly dependent on The New York Times and The Washington Post. I have many friends and relatives, and they're very proud of the fact that that's all they read. And they get this delus- illusory image of the world that has almost nothing to do with reality. Hmm. 30 seconds, Henry Kissinger's legacy. Um, do you want me to do this, or do you oh, want yeah, Dwight to absolutely. do this? Oh, yes. okay. Well, yeah, I think yeah, his, his, leg, his main legacy, his principal legacy, uh, will be destabilizing large areas of the world and causing you millions of people to have early deaths. Um, that will be his principal legacy. Um, and I think more generally, it will be to perpetuate the idea of foreign policy associated with secrecy and completely non-democratic methods. Uh, as well as a technique that's insinuated into a kind of soft corruption. Indeed, you know, as I and, uh, you know, and, and Dwight McGee have noted, uh, his very long-standing connection to the Rockefeller family, all of these things, both in terms of process and in terms of outcome, uh, is a legacy of Kissinger, and it's a very, very negative legacy in my view. Dr. David Gibbs, University of Arizona historian. Dwight McGee's going to stay with us as we talk about... The Biden campaign, election 2024, we're just weeks away from the primaries, from uh, from these contests that, that are going to determine who is going to be on the tickets in the fall of, we're not even, we're less than a year away from the new election. Can you believe it? Well, yeah. Will Joe Biden be on that ticket? David Axelrod said the quiet part out loud. He said, step aside, Joe. And so did Jeff Cohen. He'll be on with us in the next hour. But I want to hear from you. Call me at 773-763-9278. Why are his poll numbers still falling? He's done a lot of great stuff. And I'm hearing you. But somehow or another, it's not resonating. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. Hope you'll join us this afternoon as we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion on one of these great panels from 3 to 5 here on WCPT. Stay right here. More of the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Thursday, November 30th, 2023. I am Santita Jackson on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. We will be ground central for the Democratic National Committee's annual convention come summer of 2024. You're going to get the latest and the greatest right here on the Santita Jackson Show and on Joan Esposito's show and on Patty Vasquez's show and on Tom Hartman's show and on Stephanie Miller's show and, and, and right here. So don't miss it and just go on and start right now. Tell people about us and tell people about AM 950 Radio up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. There are only a few progressive stations in the country and we really struggle to stay on the air, but we you make it worthwhile because we want to get the information to you and a lot of people might not be progressive, but guess what? They listen. Indeed, this station had the most time spent listening 
um, of any station in Chicago during the last election cycle. So spread the word, everybody. Like and share this show. Like and share this show. Tracy, why don't you call in? I really would like you to do that. 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. Want to hear your voice. Want to hear your voice. I mean, you have the time because you're typing in. I want you to, want you to call in because I don't want to miss any. I don't want to misrepresent anything that you are saying. But I would love, would love to hear your voice. I'll ask you a question, but you should, too. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let's set some of these headlines out the way, everybody. Henry Kissinger, the iconic diplomat, uh, America's top diplomat for decades. Indeed, he stayed at the center of the world's conversation and influence for more than 70 years. Uh, President Richard Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, he was their Secretary of State, but his influence has been felt far longer than that. He shaped key policy shifts with China, Vietnam, the the Soviet Union, and the Middle East, won a Nobel Prize. And yet, his reputation uh, faced further scrutiny as time went on. Many people said, you were Nobel Peace Prize winner, you were also responsible for millions of deaths and a war criminal. Which is it? Is it both? Is it something in between? Time will tell. Henry Kissinger, having made his transition at the age of 100, 100, what a blessing to have lived that long. Israel and Hamas agreed to extend the pause in fighting for another day since the pause began on Friday. 210 Palestinian prisoners, most of whom have not been charged, most of whom are women and children, some five, six, seven, eight-year-old children who are now... Uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They're the ones who are being released. 73 Israelis and 24 foreign nationals. Uh, They're all hostages, everybody, but they were held under very different circumstances, but they've been released. An American-Israeli mother, a mother of dual citizenship, was freed yesterday. An estimated 159 persons remain in the Gaza Strip. And we will see if the pause will be extended to get more of the Israelis out of Gaza. Uh, An Indian official was accused of ordering an assassination in New York. An employee of India's government was tried in May to organize, uh, well, he tried, tried, excuse me, to organize the killing of a Sikh separatist, but the scheme was thwarted. In June, according to U.S. prosecutors, it could strain U.S. relations with India, but we will see. The EPA wants U.S. cities to replace lead pipes to protect children. The agency proposed a rule yesterday, which, if finalized in the next year, would require water utilities to replace all lead pipes that carry tap water to the public. Let's hope that that will happen in Chicago. We will have a high of 51 degrees today, but it will rain, according to the forecast. Minneapolis-St. Paul, 38 degrees, partly sunny. In the NFL, the Seahawks will be playing the Cowboys tonight. In the NBA, the Bucks will be facing off against the the Bulls here in Chicago. And the Jazz will be playing the Timberwolves up in Minnesota. And the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Red Wings. And... The Wild will be playing the Predators. Those are some of the headlines. You know, everybody, the cornerstone of Americans' wealth is home ownership, for the most part. And, indeed, that is central to the American dream. Most people in the world cannot afford to buy their home and own the land that's underneath it, but that is something that's almost unique to uh, that is unique to America and industrialized nations. So Team Hogberg wants to help you to get a piece of the rock, if you will. Uh, but the barrier to home ownership is 
20% down. Who can afford that? Most of us cannot even afford a visit to the emergency room. We cannot afford going to the grocery store, and on and on and on it goes. So they have a program that, get this, you won't have to put 20% down, not 10, not 5, 1% down. Only if you qualify, though. And you need to call them at 855-56-DAVID. 855-56-DAVID. You need to call Team Hogberg so that you can find out if you qualify for this program where you put 1% down so that you can begin to own a home up until now. Saving for that down payment has been next to impossible. Who can pull together twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000? What? Can't even pull together $400 for an emergency room visit. So... Team Hochberg now has a loan to help you, WCPT listeners, you AM 950 radio listeners, and all my listeners all over the country. I want you to call them at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, see if you qualify to overcome this challenge and get this loan, everybody. Team Hochberg wants to help you, your friends, your family, your kids, everybody, anyone who qualifies, who could overcome this down payment challenge, All you'll have to do is put down 1% and you can become a homeowner. If you're purchasing a home, do yourself a favor and call Team Hochberg to see if you qualify for their new 1% down loan. And guess what? Sometimes it's your credit that's the problem. Well, guess what you should do? Get their credit card. It's a secured credit card. If you pay down, pay off your bill every month, you begin to raise your credit score. When you call them, ask them about that as well. So... You heard it. You can pay 1% down and become a homeowner. You can get a credit card that you preload and that you pay off every month, and you can raise your credit score. They've got some great financial products. I want you to call them at 855-56-DAVID. 855-56-DAVID or go to 56david.com and ask for Team Hochberg. Whew, mouthful, but it was something that I think that you needed. Everybody, let's talk about uh, these falling poll numbers of... Of Joe Biden's. Indeed, there's a campaign. It's called Step Aside, Joe. Many people are saying, look, he's done great work. But for the party's sake and for the sake of the presidency, for the sake of America keeping this agenda going, he needs to move out the way because people love his program, but they're not so crazy about him. Indeed, uh, the trend is dire, according to Politico. They said, and I quote, they wrote, the president's standing in head-to-head matchups with Trump is falling. Among the latest surveys this month, from 13 separate pollsters, Biden's position is worse than their previous polls in all but two of them. And David Axelrod, no less an iconic figure in the party. Indeed, Someone who was at the hip, at the, at the right-hand side of, of Barack Obama. Saw him as a, well, saw him very, very young in his career, I think, before he even went to the, to the state Senate. And, um, and guided him into the U.S. Senate and the presidency. He said, Joe Biden, you need to stop running. And boy, they've had quite the public back and forth, the White House and David Axelrod. But what about you? Call me at 773-763-9278. Is it time for Joe Biden to step aside uh, or not? So we've got Dwight McKean. We've got Attorney Aaron Connolly, brilliant political organizer. We've got the chair of the chairman of the Transformative Justice Coalition, Attorney Daryl Jones, and Attorney uh, Reverend, excuse me, Reverend Dr. Todd Yuri Esquire. Let me start with you, Attorney Aaron Connolly. 
I mean, because you spend time outside of Chicago organizing. And I just, how can you explain these these falling poll numbers? Now, we know that he's taken quite a hit over his Israeli policy, particularly with the young and with the Arab community and with progressives. And some people have said, no, under no circumstances will I vote for him again. But his numbers have never, he struggled throughout his whole presidency, but he's not struggled any, I mean, now he's struggling more than he has ever struggled. Help me with that. Should he step aside? Well, good morning, Santita, and good morning to your illustrious panel, um, who I look look forward to, to hearing their perspectives on this, because uh, the reality is um, all, all of your panelists are, are on the ground um, listening to voters across this country. And the setting the stage for, for this, um, you know, what is turning into kind of a, a political crisis for the president right now, when we have someone as significant as David Axelrod, when we have these articles come out in reputable um, uh, articles from, from places like Politico and the New York Times, for example, these are not... These are these are mainstream media that are, that are sounding the alarms, and the poll numbers are are, are troubling, right? For for this stage, one year out, um, the president would would hope to be to be leading in most of these polls and by a more significant margin, especially when we see the rhetoric coming out of the Trump campaign and some of the back and forth with the other candidates, right? Um, the reality is, is when we look at the swing states, and that's what uh, many of these polls are focused on right now. We're looking at Michigan. We're looking at Arizona. We're looking at Nevada. Um, and I think the risk for the president politically in some of some of the swing states and states that um, could be swing states, right, that we, we see on the margins, is they, they will rely on a large portion of young voters and new voters to come out and support the president in an election year. Um, the president had some victories in a, a, a better midterm election than many predicted, but it was still not to the level um, that they would like to see uh, going into a very, very tough climate in this presidential race. And the, the messaging that we're seeing out of the president's campaign is not resonating with the general public. While there are excellent job numbers, the economy is growing, gas prices are coming down, the reality is Americans are not feeling those benefits. Everyday Americans are still going into the holiday season worried about how they're going to not only uh, pay their mortgage and provide food, but also uh, be in a position to build their future, right? And that's what they're looking at when they're considering who am I going to invest this this vote in? And who, what do I want my future to look like? Do I want Joe Biden leading me for another four years? And I think Americans are struggling with saying a definitive yes, right? I don't think it necessarily means a no. I think the president has a path to be able to kind of fix this, but it's going to take a full core press like we saw yesterday with him going after some of these uh, more vocal opponents like uh, Lauren Boebert in, in uh, Colorado, for example, and coming out and saying, I'm building jobs while they're doing nothing. But we can't just make it about Donald Trump. That messaging did not work. That fear-mongering messaging didn't work the first round for Hillary Clinton, and it's not going to be enough to get Biden over the edge this time. People want a John Lewis voting right back. They want the promises that were made to them kept. And as we see student loan payments starting for many millennials right now, on top of uh, a stressful holiday season, a lot of Americans are, are questioning their budget and their bottom line. And when they're comparing that to the ballot, 
Joe Biden's got some work to do. Mm. Your thoughts, uh, Attorney Daryl Jones? You know, I, I you know I agree uh, in large part, Santita, with what uh, Aaron uh, has laid out. And I tell you, you know, when when I look at this, and you know, I, and you know, I, I I read and read and read and read and see all the uh, commentators and all that's being said about uh, President Biden and why he should step aside. Well, you know. I, I guess I come from a more competitive type of background. I believe you beat a champion. You don't ask them to step aside. You don't ask the Yankees to step aside because they've won before and they've been proven they got a history. You beat them. You beat them on the field. So if you want a candidate to beat Joe Biden, go get behind that candidate and get the votes and get them defeated. But but don't ask them to simply step aside. You know, when I look at what President Biden has accomplished, and, and what should be rolled out. You know, I always begin with Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. But then you also look at the climate change that he's been combating, the COVID-19, how bad we were in this country when he took office, and what he's been able to accomplish, the infrastructure repair that he's put in place, expanding the health care and the prescription drugs, uh, uh, coming down the prices on prescription drugs. He did all of this, Santita, with a completely messed up, House of Representatives. So, you know, when I look at what he's accomplished, I, I then say, if you want to beat him, beat him. Don't ask him to step aside. Don't, you know, I, I understand the, the whole thing with the age and, and that, you know, he, he's 80 or whatever uh, the, the age is going to be. I look at the accomplishments and the question at the end of the day, you know, I'm, a, I'm an old, you know, a, a guy that comes from the business background, right? The question at the end of the day is, does the dog hunt? That's the question, because if the dog is hunting for you, you want to keep that dog. You don't want to bring in a dog and say, well, it, it might hunt. I'm not certain if it's going to uh, accomplish what I need or not. You know, for, uh, President Biden has been hunting, and he's been uh, producing many results for the African-American community, because the HBCU and the funding, all these other accomplishments. We're not, we're not hearing from the White House all the accomplishments that, that uh, they have accomplished. But for us to say, for anyone to say, just step aside now and let somebody else run. We don't know if they can beat former President Trump or not, but step aside and let someone else try. That's, that's not the way that you know, I understand democracy to work, and that certainly uh, isn't the competitive way that, that I believe democracy. Win the votes you, want to, you need to win if you want to beat the champion. That's what this is about, and, and I certainly stand with him running. You know, I understand all of the problems that, that exist, but I stand with him running, uh, uh, Santita, for all of those reasons that I've just uh, laid out. But, you know, I think we need to be honest about the, the age thing. The age is not the issue, because the most popular elected official in the United States is an, 80, is an octogenarian. <laughs> That's Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. Bernie it's Sanders. his health. Yeah. It's his health. And so this, we need to stop repeating a narrative which is a lie fact is people worried about his health you know he doesn't look like he's in the most robust of health and that's what's that's what's frightening to people that's what's off-putting that is why that is why roosevelt would not let you see him in a wheelchair until he was about out of here because he knew how people mm -hmm. think not just then but now you know my father doesn't he abhors being in a wheelchair publicly because he doesn't mm -hmm. want you to feel sorry for him and physical infirmities people feel some kind of way about it Walter Jackson, who was a great singer, who Dwight would remember, one of the greatest voices you would ever hear. And my parents said, you know, if he could stand, he would have he would have a different kind of career. Because there was no greater singer ever, ever. But that's kind of the thinking of people. Reverend Dr. Yeary? 
Oh, good morning, Santita, and to my colleagues. I think we, <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to the, the issue about being too old. I'm trying to figure out how the Democrats then message that to a base that a third of the Democratic base is over the age of 65. So that's that's problem number one. How do you say to a base that has a number? Now, I get it. You've got young folks on the other end who are saying he's too old, but they're, they, they've got a messaging issue. So Axe is, Axe is kind of airing his stuff, but he's got a different kind of problem. So what if you go get a younger candidate? What are they going to run on? I like what the president has done. I'm just younger than he is. Well, that doesn't get you anywhere, because what are you going to do? I'm going to do more of what the old guy's doing. I'm just going to be a younger version of the policy issues. That doesn't get you anywhere. If you don't draw policy distinctions that make you a viable alternative to the sitting incumbent who is actually the head of the party currently, uh, then I think you've got, you've got a credibility issue to just kind of put it out there. Then it smacks of ableism, who can and who cannot participate. Now, I hear the concerns about is he healthy enough to do it. Well, you get a doctor's report on that. Does he look like he's in his 60s? No, he's a, he's a man of, of 80. Does he walk like he did 20 years ago? No, he's 20 years older. But here's what he has done in terms of being in his right mind, not just the policy distinctions, but remember the issue we've been fighting with in terms of advancing broadly what we call civil rights is making sure that the courts have not been stacked against us. We just had a case come out that's taking a shot right at Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act that's born and birthed out of appointment to the federal bench by one of the most, if not the most, incompetent president that we've seen. But because he was the president, he had the ability to reshape, reshape rather, what the court looks like and how the law is interpreted. One of the things that President Biden has done, and they don't talk a lot about it, is how he's gotten folks on the federal bench. Because if we don't have a firewall, the fight changes anyway. It doesn't matter who you're going to get or what age they are. The rules that you now have to to and fight back against are already being entrenched. So I think what, what really has to be clear is what are the policy distinctions and whoever, this is to uh, uh, Daryl Jones's point, whoever you're going to put up, what are they coming with other than the fact that their birth certificate shows a little younger age? That's where they've got the problem. And that's where Axelrod's argument is really kind of falling short. Don't just say this dude should step aside. Who are you putting forth as the viable alternative that is going to be able to build on the strengths of the policy wins under this president, but then further expand and push back against the regression we've seen from the other side? That's the part that's missing. And that's the part that makes, uh, I think, Axon's argument, while it's plausible on its face, it kind of it kind of has a little different kind of tint to it uh, than, than, than what he's, he's presenting as, you know, please step aside. At the end of the day, if, if I'm the old dude and I'm the king of the hill, stepping aside is not what I'm going to do. You're going you gonna to have to come get me. Well, you Man, know, I tell you what. You, you know, you're right. You got to. Mama said, "Knock me out." That's the champion. The problem is, you know, the game is so rigged. You can't get anybody in the process. That's the other piece, and that is well, something that's it, being no. It's being exposed. Look, I saw. I, I saw I, with Bernie. I, I saw I, with Bernie. I, I, I hear that. And, and they got to stop I hear that. that. But, 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 but that's not. That's not the the issue that we're talking about. About asking him to step aside. If no, the no, issue no. I'm is saying access, that's part of the issue. Because I, if you I, do I not you, have a no, no, what I'm saying simply is this, Todd. If you don't have a free and open process, 
where you have viable candidates get in whom he can debate and he can he can go on and allay everybody's fears. That is a problem for him. I'm, ta- I'm talking about what the problem that he's got. I, I, I got you. But you, you, you choose which lane you're going to run in. If you're going to run as a Democrat, then you come at him. Right. And you come at him regardless. That's that's the issue. If you're going yeah. if you're going to take him down because because you I feel like you. you've got a better alternative, then, then you come. And the rules are what the rules are until you change it. Rev came against the rules as they were, not as the rules that he wished they were. And that's how he got the rules changed. He came at it. Yeah, you're going to come. It, come. If you're not, don't. I got it. But now you got people saying, forget this. Robert Kennedy, who's polling it north of 20 <laughs> percent. He said, I'll be an independent. Boom. Cornell West. I'll be an independent. In it, because it's, it's a different world today, because now people are looking, they are looking past the parties. Dwight, I'm going to let you speak on the other side when we, before uh, Jeff Cohen comes up, because I want you to talk about it. But everybody, if you want to follow this hot conversation, stay right here on the Sandita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Wow, just got some sad news for those of us who are in the church community. Pastor Charles Adams made his transition. Reverend Reverend Yeary, Dwight McKee. Wow, out of Detroit. You have not, if you have, go on YouTube and see some of his sermons. There is no more profound preacher who ever lived. God rest his soul. Pastor Charles Adams, we will all be heading to Detroit for that service in a matter of days. Wow. So many people going. Wow, wow, wow. In the meantime, step aside, Joe. Step aside, Joe. What is this campaign? And before I bring on Jeff Cohen, who is the architect of this campaign, really, most Democrats are saying, "Ah, the poll numbers aren't good for the president. They're saying, look, we need someone else. We need another standard bearer. You have uh, attorney. Uh, well, you have you know you have the panel here. Uh, have we haven't heard from Dwight yet? You have attorney Aaron Connolly, and in particular, attorneys Daryl Jones and Todd Yuri, who's saying, "Wait a minute, Mama said knock you out. You got to take out the champion. You can't just tell somebody to move over. Power doesn't work that way." And they're absolutely right. Dwight McKee, before we bring on Jeff Cohen, your thoughts. Well, I'm a firm believer that if you want to be the champion, you have to beat the champion. And I think they're doing him a, a disservice by protecting him from the process. And I think that's what people are, most people are upset about, is that he couldn't be the president if he proved he's capable of being the president. But by not getting him in the ring with his peers, by not having him have to de- debate, having to really run through primaries, what they're saying is that we are not sure that you're up to the task. And if you're not up to the task to deal with your own contemporaries and your own peers, then how can you deal with the Republicans? How can you deal with Trump, who is not not just a boxer? He hits below the belt, and he bites on the ear. And so if you can't handle a legitimate process, how are you gonna handle it with with with, with this uh, with with a Trump who will hit below the belt? So that I don't think that he should step aside 
But I think he should step to the plate and prove that he is the worthy candidate. The problem that they have is that they don't have, one of the problems they have is they don't have an alternative to him. That if not him, then who? Because as they protect him from the process, they also reduce the options for alternatives in direct proportion to the protected from the process. So those who could be comparable uh, candidates are not even allowed in the ring. So you don't really know what they can do. And you don't know what, what appeal that they have because, you know, they put them under, a, under a, a bush and you never get a chance to see them shine. Uh, so the guys like, like Kennedy, like Cornell, are forced to compete outside the democratic process, which create a whole other set of problems. Uh, so, you know, if they, 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 I don't think he should step aside, but I think they should set up a situation where he can prove that he is worthy to go up against his opposition. Well, let us bring on Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen, you've heard some of what people are saying this panel represents. A lot of folks have been saying, I'm so glad that you've been able to join us today. Indeed, co-founder of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting and uh, RootsAction.org. Step aside. Joe is the petition drive. And the poll numbers are dire, and more and more people are writing about it. You've got David Axelrod, who is a very disciplined dis- Democrat. I don't think that he would have gotten out here and said and told Joe Biden not to run unless the decision had been made that he needs to be told not to run. Because that's how these things work, everybody. Okay? I'm just letting you know the skinny. So, Jeff Cohen, what about this step-aside Joe campaign? What, what are you... What do you mean by it? What are you intending to see happen? Well, our our belief is that Joe Biden is too weak, too too ineffective to win, and the threat of uh, racist neo-fascist winning, Donald Trump winning in November of next year is real, and the polls keep getting worse for Joe Biden, and they've gotten worse during the Israel-Gaza war, when so many young people. Young people are the most anti-racist demographic, and they see the bombardment and the killing of all the civilians in Gaza as sort of a, a, a racist response to the terror attack of October 7th. And you have Muslim Americans, uh, Arab Americans, young Americans of every color, progressive Jewish Americans that are utterly appalled by Biden standing with Israel, and that's just one issue for, uh, by which we can analyze the polls and show that the possibility of Biden winning in November of next year just keeps decreasing and decreasing. Uh, prior to this, Biden had lost a lot of activists who are uh, uh, in the struggle to reverse climate change because of Joe Biden's administration's reversals, uh, drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, drilling in Alaska, the uh, liquefied natural gas export. He's gone in reverse on climate. And many of those climate activists worked so hard in 2020 to get out the vote 
for Joe Biden, but they won't next year. Those Arab American and Muslim American activists in Michigan worked so hard against the hated Donald Trump in the state of Michigan, my home state, where I grew up. And and Biden narrowly defeated uh, Trump in Michigan. And there's many of us who believe he can no longer win in the state of Michigan uh, because you have so many uh, Arab American and Muslim American leaders who have a simple slogan, no ceasefire, no votes from us. And, uh, you know, everyone has seen the State Department internal memo that came out in October where the State Department of the Joe Biden administration said, uh, don't ever talk about word, don't use words like de-escalation, don't use words like ceasefire, don't use words like bring an end to the bloodshed. Well, that's what the U.S. public wants overwhelmingly, especially Democrats. Uh, but so I, I feel that the Biden administration has lost touch with the base of the party. And what these polls show is voter disenchantment with Joe Biden. Uh, one poll that The New York Times did about a year ago found that it isn't unheard of. Ninety four percent of young of Democrats under the age of 30 wanted a different candidate. They did not want Joe Biden to one run for reelection. So the polls show voter discontent, but I've been arguing in the last month or two or three that the bigger problem is the activist discontent, that the activists who worked so hard, racial justice activists, uh, peace activists, climate activists who worked so hard in 2020 to get out the vote, you need activists to get out the vote. You need activists to mobilize people to the polls. You need activists to win over the undecided. And if you've lost not only the voters showing their discontent, if the election were held today, who would you vote for? Would you vote third party? Would you stay home? Would you, uh, I mean, the, the people I'm talking about are not going to start voting for Trump. What we're worried about is so many people who are not going to vote or they're going to vote third party, whether it's for Cornell West or RFK Jr. So uh, when you've also lost the activists who can change that configuration and change those numbers, then it looks very, very bleak. And and I agree with the, your last speaker, Santito, who, who uh, was talking about, you know, the system has been sort of rigged. And we know that the Democratic National Committee does not want debates. They said there will be no debates. There's now a Congress member in the race against Biden. Uh, Marianne Williamson, the activist, is, is in the race against Biden. They've said from the beginning, no matter what, they're not having debates. And then New Hampshire, which has traditionally for decades been the first state in the union to vote, uh, because Biden is so weak there and could suffer a humiliating defeat, they've ab abandoned the New Hampshire primary as the first in the nation. You'll remember in 2020, Joe Biden came in fifth. He got only 8% of the vote. There were four Democrats in 2020 that, that beat him soundly in New Hampshire. So the system is sort of rigged. The base of the party is aggrieved. The base of the party, at the best, you could say, is lacking the enthusiasm needed to win. 
That's why we say he should step aside. If he did step aside, if he did announce by the end of this year, I've decided to be a one-term president. I'm not going to work for re-election. I'm going to work at being the best president I can be the rest of my term. It would open up the primaries. We would see governors, senators, activists getting into the race. Um, I think people would be able to unify in November of 2024 around the eventual winner. Uh, the base of the party in an open primary would feel included, that they could make demands on the various candidates. You'll remember in 2020, we had more than 20 Democratic candidates. There were so many that they couldn't fit on the same debate stage. You'd have to have a two-night debate. And, uh, and yet everyone united behind Biden because they felt, all right, it was an open process. Democratic activists and voters don't feel it's open this time. We want Biden to step aside uh, because that's the best way to defeat this racist, fascist threat of Donald Trump next November, the November after this. Well, two of my panelists just said, you know, and I'm going to let them speak for themselves just very quickly. If you can give, if you can lock it in, uh, Reverend Dr. Ewing, about within within 30 seconds, why don't you make your statement and have so that uh, Mr. Cohen can respond to it? Well, good morning, Mr. Cohen. I think you, you've, you've laid out the, the issues with the process. I guess the question becomes the who. Uh, because who are you galvanizing around? And the question that I would have is just kind of get your thoughts and follow-up, is if the president were to step aside, where does that leave the current sitting vice president in terms of her positioning to be competitive for the nomination? I, I think that she would be one of the candidates. I would expect at least six or eight candidates if Biden were to announce I mean, you, you, you know that Gavin Newsom from California is getting all this publicity because he's debating DeSantis. Um, I expect he would get in. Uh, there's a, gov a Midwest governor. I'm not sure whether it be from Illinois or Michigan might jump in. Uh, there's a couple senators who last ran the last time who might jump in. Uh, but the reason that no one has jumped in is there's loyalty to Biden. The Democratic establishment is is uh, telling all these leading uh, contenders, whatever you do, you got to continue to express your support for Joe Biden, continue to say Joe Biden can win. And they keep saying it even when the polls show uh, maybe Joe Biden cannot win at all. Uh, so I, I, I think there would be uh, quickly a lot of candidates to choose from, including the vice president. Uh, Attorney Daryl Jones. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, what, what uh, Reverend Yuri laid out was accurate. But I tell you, you know, when you start talking about the polls, I, I've never been such a big believer in, in what polls say. Because if we believed in the polls, then we would have known that uh, the Senate was supposed to flip and all the other great things. So I don't put a lot of, uh, lot of stock in that part of it. You know, what I do put a lot of stock in is that, you know, uh, with President Biden, you know, we know what we got, and we know that we're going to have somebody that's going to be able to stand up to uh, former President Trump and to be able to say, you know, I've defeated him before. We've done this, America. We can do it again. And I don't know that we get that from any other candidates that, uh, that, that you've spoken of. You know, I, I appreciate all that uh, Gavin Newsom has done uh, out in California. You know, 
it's one of those things where I say, you know, if you're going to beat the champion, come on in the ring and beat the champion. If you're going to sit there and complain about the rules, sit there and complain about the rules. But if what you want to do is to win the crown, come in the round, come into the uh, ring and beat the champion. And and that's the position that I, I think I see the Senate at this point. Mm. Aaron Connolly? Is Aaron still there? Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree with 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 the idea of of you know from the beginning we've we've said in your show that it was disappointing to see that we didn't have a process that really opened up the Democratic primary, and as a strategist and uh, you know communications uh, professional, I think that was a mistake for for many reasons. Right, the president hasn't been able to effectively win the wins that we talked about. Opening the process and winning fair and square in a democratic primary where you're, you're speaking about these issues, you're explaining why things haven't gotten done as quickly as, as we've all wanted them to, and being able to show that, that level of strength and um, rallying public support, I think would have, would have been a, a better move. Now we're left with a, a different narrative, and and um, the president is is in an accurate you know it's, it's accurate that he is in a weaker position than Democrat the Democratic establishment and many many folks who voted for the president last time would want. the The reality is is um, Mr. Cohen is absolutely correct about the a- activist class, the organizers who show up to do. Uh, GOTV ships at four in the morning who are, um, you know, out knocking on doors in 120 degrees in Arizona and negative 10 here in Chicago, right? These are the folks that we do need to, to get people across the finish line, that GOTV effort, that one-on-one voter mobilization. And those folks, the leaders, the people who have who have been involved, aren't going to be the ones that say they're not going to vote. That's not going to happen. But they may not give a thousand percent like they have in years past. And that that could be a problem, especially in swing states where, you know, we rely on those volunteer um, boots on the ground. Right. So I I think it's a legitimate concern and one that uh, Democrats have to figure out very soon. As you said, the the timeline and the window is is closing rapidly to to make any sort of shift if, if that's what's going to happen. Well, you know, Democrats, of course, but let me just say this is on the step aside Joe page. Democrats will need bold leadership in 2024. Joe Biden should step aside, open the primary process and defeat the GOP. He continues that in 2024, the United States will face the dual imperatives of preventing a Republican takeover of the White House and advancing a truly progressive agenda. The stakes could not be higher. The threat of a neo-fascist GOP has become all too obvious. Bold and inspiring presidential leadership is essential to countering that threat. This is not anti-Democrat. This is supporting the Democrats and getting the people who make who make the moves locally, countywide, statewide, regionally, and nationally who make these victories possible. That's very but the problem is yeah. But the problem is that, one, it's hard to beat the champion if the champion is stuck in the fight. But secondly, that there is an economy that comes with being a candidate. And that's what the the DNC is, is protecting. They're not necessarily focused on winning the election or beating, you know, the next candidate. What they're focused on is protecting their interests. During the campaign, there are billions, millions of dollars that come with running a campaign. 
and they want to be aligned to be able to benefit from that money. All these jobs, well, I only have like seven or eight minutes left in the segment. Of course, we'll be talking about this on the other side on the Santita Jackson Show, on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Uh, Daryl, in about 30 seconds, because I want to shift it back to Jeff Cohen so he can pull things together for us. Okay, thank you, Santita. You know, one of of the things that uh, was being raised was the question about will activists be involved, will activists be on the ground, will they be as active as they have been? And I can tell you from my perspective, you know, we've been on the ground in Carolina, on the ground in Georgia, in the ground in Wisconsin, Michigan, all the uh, almost all of the uh, battleground states. We've been on the ground with the activists, uh, with the voting rights organizations. And there's no question that they are fully vested in this upcoming 2024 election, regardless of who the candidate is. They're vested in it because they realize what's at stake. So I I, I think it's a false narrative to lay out that uh, we're concerned about losing the activists. We're not losing the activists. The activists are on the ground, and they're active and working. Mm, the activists I know, uh, I hear you, Daryl, but you know, I beg to differ. There are some people who are in it. The activists who are getting paid are in it. And I'm not saying that because they're mercenary, but they have jobs. A lot of folks, I mean, they get jobs. Other folks who are volunteering and other people who are out here feeling this pain of going to the grocery store, they, they are mad. They, they, I mean... Trump is polling north of 20% with black voters. we got to deal with that. Jeff Cohen, the last five minutes belong to you. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the polls, and one of the uh, panelists uh, correctly said the polls can be exaggerated. But I really disagree with the idea that the activists are ready to go. Uh, when we talk to activists, and we've tried to generate activism around the presidential election of next year, and what we're hearing from our base in RootsAction.org is that they don't want to invest time in uh, in Biden. They want to fight for members of the squad. They want to fight for candidates like Summer Lee in Pittsburgh. They want to fight for Cory Bush in St. Louis. Uh, but they just don't have the energy they don't have the interest to fight for Joe Biden. And in 2020, Roots Action, and you could read this in Politico, we had a big, we had activism in three states that Biden beat Trump. And we had a vote Trump out movement in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona. All three states went for Biden. I think all three of those states are now almost unwinnable because of the lack of enthusiasm from activists. And in response to the panelist who said, you know, should be a candidate that would go up against the champ, even if the, the uh, you know, the fight is a little bit un, un, uh, unequal and rigged, well, we've tried to recruit candidates. And the Democratic establishment is putting pressure on anyone. They all have to get out and say, I support the ticket. I support Joe Biden. Joe Biden can win. I don't believe the polls. Even as the polls get worse and worse, they they trot out one person after another who would be a candidate for president if Biden uh, were to step aside. And we have, uh, I'll admit it, we failed to recruit anyone to challenge Biden. We thought that would be the way Uh, to get Biden to step aside would be to put in a strong candidate. 
you'll remember when Senator Gene McCarthy, I'm old enough to remember it, I was a supporter of his, when Senator Joe McCarthy entered the race over the Vietnam War against President Lyndon Johnson, McCarthy was a Democratic senator and did so well in New Hampshire. It then brought in RFK Sr. into the race. And then Lyndon Johnson withdrew because he realized, heck, I can't even win Democratic primaries now. I'm too unpopular. Um, there's this new, you know, new generation of leaders, and he stepped aside. And if there hadn't been for an assassination, it's very likely Robert Kennedy would have been the president uh, in January of 1969. So uh, we have failed, I admit it, to try to recruit a major candidate to challenge Biden. That does not stop us from telling Joe Biden, urging Joe Biden, uh, uh, on our knees begging Joe Biden to step aside on the basis that we need to open up the primary process, get Democrats of all colors, get young Democrats, get climate Democrats, get anti-war Democrats uh, back into the action, uh, because I disagree with one of your panelists. I'm sensing complete despair among activists I go, from despair to outrage. There's many that just are disappointed in the president, all the way to people who who work on peace issues and Palestinian issues and anti-war issues that are furious with Joe Biden. And there I'm, I'm speaking of my pe- people in my home state of Michigan that worked hard for Biden because, you know, Trump's got the Muslim ban and Trump is Israel 110 percent. They can do whatever they want. And so uh, Muslim and Arab Americans were very active in Michigan and a couple other swing states. And they're announcing at public rallies. They're furious. And I would be, too. I am furious as a Jewish American by uh, what Biden has done while the massacre of innocent civilians, precious Palestinian lives, children and women just keep getting killed up until the ceasefire of seven days, which is likely to end soon and the bombing begin. You've got uh, Muslim and Arab American leaders and Jewish American, Jewish progressive leaders standing up saying if there is no ceasefire permanent, Biden will not have my vote and I worked for him last time. I mean, you can say that's anecdotal, but when the uh, election is 50-50 in a state like Michigan, those kind of anecdotes add up into uh, a very dangerous situation for November 2024 if Biden is the leader of the party. It will hurt all Democrats if Biden is the leader of the party. Many Democrats and, and other voters, swing voters, they just see they see someone who's too old. My critique of Joe Biden.